Good. Fucking. All right. <coughs> hey. hey, Tyson, go lie down, buddy. Go, go ahead. Down. Go lie down. Go lie down. Good boy. Take a nap. I want to lie down and wait, take a nap. Wait, seriously, guys. Tomorrow. Don't even get me started on what tomorrow is. What's tomorrow? Don't do it, Matt. Do it, Matt. Don't do it. Do it, Matt. What's tomorrow, Matt? Tomorrow. Wait. What's tomorrow? It's the last NXT before WrestleMania. No. That's no. not what I'm excited about. Yes, you are. No, seriously. I'm Don't so lie. excited. I'm so I haven't been this excited for anything in a long time. Matt's about to go on tour. That's not what I'm excited about. <laughs> Puppy's here. I love the puppy. He just worked out hard. Dude, I'm so excited. For the Some last people know year. why. Wait, wait. There, there are some people that know why I'm excited because they're just as excited as I am. There's a lot of people that are just as excited as I am. What kind of people are super excited tomorrow? Explain the people, then build the anticipation. Then tell and this will probably tomorrow. be released a month from now. They're probably born in the 80s, these people. Check. What's today, just so we know? The date? Mm-hmm. March 28th. 20, March 28th. Is it the 28th? So, yeah. when it, so when it's April 23rd and we release this, tomorrow <laughs> is what? Well, look, hold on. What I'm so excited about? This is so good. Try this. Do you not want me to say? Because everybody now... I mean, on, you, man, you, you've it. been saying it ever since you showed up today. So I'm not going to say it. No, you gotta say it now. Do you wanna uh, write it? Ooh, this is good. I know that great. Show you. You wanna show your arm? I'm so it's, excited because and then, like sneak because, it out like no because the trailer for the it remake is coming out tomorrow, and today they released a trailer for the trailer. I think that's really and impressive. And I'm so excited. Honestly, this is probably top three most excited I've ever seen you. I'm not kidding. I'm I'm legitimately ecstatic that I get to see this trailer tomorrow because I heard that it was shown at South by Southwest Ooh. and everybody just is raving about it and it's not even the movie it's like a not even a minute there's I don't no, think it's like thirty seconds there's no leak and by everybody you mean everybody dude in you Austin. can go online and type in it teaser or like Stephen King's it remake at South by and there's so many articles written about it now. Oh, How you talk shit. about it and the orgasm you just had about it. I'm actually like legitimately pumped. I don't even like horror. Like when I saw The Hills Have Eyes, I then got in my car and kept checking my trunk. And I was like, oh. Dude, wait, can, do you understand? Really do you understand? Wait, wait, wait. Since I, I saw the first movie, like the, 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 the original It movie, since then, when, I don't know how young I was. I was young. I was really young. Okay. Still to this day, I don't know, 20 years later. I look in drains when I walk on the street. I oh, look right. in like drain pipes and grates, like for Ninja Turtles. No, is that where the skateboarding thing came from? Of like the dude peering out. The skateboarding thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's like a, a Santa Cruz maybe, and there's like a a guy peering out, and it reminds me of what's his name, the clown. Well, there's this Pennywise. There's Pennywise. This, it reminds the, me of like Pennywise. One of the most famous. Wait, the scenes. clown's name is Pennywise. Yeah, mm-hmm. like the band. Mm-hmm. Right, I know. So one of so the name's not it. No, see, it's an entity. It's it. So okay, but it has a name. So, so okay. it's not a guy. Do you or want me to give you the, just a little bit of background for real? I think we should for watch real. it and do a no, don't, podcast no, 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 where we on. talk about it while we watch. Don't it. Don't watch it. Don't don't watch the original movie. Read the book, because the book is is so much better than the movie. 
I have it so is. many books I'm reading. Okay, well, wait. Do you do you really want to know? Because I can tell you how this works. Honestly, yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> then I, we won't talk about it. Thank you for your honesty. Your honesty is appreciated. I, I kind of want to know. You've explained it to me before. He actually showed me the greatness of Freddy. Why Freddy's face looks that way, where the hand comes from, and what it all means. And now I have. Now I'm more invested. Where now I want to sit down, watch the movie take you on a date, and then discuss afterwards. Okay. So when you get home, you have, you have well, nine or you ten know days when you get home. Me and Alex Wallaber are going to see the actual It remake on September 7th, hopefully, the day before it comes out on September 8th, because we're going to go to advanced screening. Midnight? Mm, sure. I might even dress you, up. I, I, w- say, I would do that. I would do that for sure. Okay, but I'm you're in. not allowed until you read the book. How long is the book? I don't want to know anything. The book beforehand. is over 1,000 pages. I can't do that. I tried one of those books that was over a thousand pages. But it's it's a page turner, man. I'm reading a book that's not a page turner right now. I don't think I'm ready for a page turner. Well, it's a really cool concept. <clears throat> we're doing somebody. Somebody actually. Sorry, I, I know. I we're doing you. the feed. The little bit of feedback that we had. Of, right. We're we're just doing it left and right. What cutting each other off? Cutting each other off left well, and right. It's okay. We're like right zigzagging now. race cars that are just so pumped about winning. Somebody asked me in the AMA that I did yesterday. Yeah, tell us about it. If like who would win in a battle, Freddie or Pennywise the clown? Was this a periphery AMA? This was a periphery AMA. Yeah, and I think Scott, who's like the founder of the All Things Periphery group, asked me who would win in a fight. And and Pennywise would win. Why? Because Freddy can only beat you in your dreams, right? So what? Yes. Well, that's how it works. Freddy can only get you in your dreams. So my my logic is that Pennywise would kill all of the kids that Freddy was going to get in their dreams before he can do that. So by taking away all of his fun, Freddy's going to go get depressed and kill himself. Mm. I'm sleeping with my eyes open right now. It doesn't look that way. You're smiling. And I'm like more interested moving. in Scott. He started a periphery like fan thing. Matt <clears throat> gave me a little bit of shit for not even knowing who this is or was, not even being part of the group when we all started hanging out again more recently. He was like, you don't even know about that? I'm like, well, because well in the days of Kazaa and iTunes, or not iTunes, um, uh, Napster, you know, that those were the days 10 years ago when I was looking for b-sides and rarities and stuff nowadays i just listen to the albums when they come out i go see you i was just surprised because you claim to yeah. be a, a super periphery fan jordan which i i will acknowledge that you are right but However, only for like you know on the <clears> surface <throat> but you're not part of all things periphery i don't dig deeper okay. i just ask you what's going on for all things periphery well scott saigusa is his name started this group called all things periphery okay and strong last name he um he just brought together a whole bunch of really, really uh, passionate periphery fans to one place. And he's a great forum community moderator, super passionate. He's built it up to, there's like almost, I want to say there's almost like 4,000 members. That's amazing. Um, But it's a secret group. So you have to be invited Hmm. in order to join. So if you really are serious, I'll send you an invite. All right, send me an invite. That's kind of like... Jordan, I know you don't want <laughs> an invite. Good. Yeah. No, no. Th- there are a couple groups like that that you're a part of that I think are great. I'm a part of one group, the Every Time I Die Idiots, E-T-I-D-I-T-S or something. 
a little aside that's really cool about Scott. Yeah, tell me. He sent me an actual Freddy Krueger glove. Wow. Of as a which, present. What did we do with that glove? <clears throat> we used it with battle ropes. We worked <laughs> out with it. Actually, you can see it on my Instagram. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's really nice, that little. So you, have you hung with Scott? Yeah. Where does he live? Scott lives in, I want to say, San Diego. Or, yeah, San Diego. Okay. okay. I think. Which you're not punch you're me not if I'm wrong. I don't think he lives in L.A. I think he's Somewhere in California. Yeah, he's in Southern California. And you're not going there on this tour? Not on this tour. The current tour that you're leaving for in two days, three days, mm-hmm. where does it start? How far out does it go? And then where does it come back to? It starts in Reading, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. It goes as far west as Chicago. So not far. Not far. Have okay. you played Reading before or been yeah. there? Oh, yeah. Many times. At, uh, at Hershey Park, they have those old little cars that you drive, and you know you, you do the gas, but it's kind of hooked to a track, and you go maybe seven miles per hour. But they have all the different cities in Pennsylvania, and Reading is one of them. Mm-hmm. And I just always thought of that as a kid because I would look at it, and I would see it as Reading, and then I was told it's Reading, and that kind of opened me up to, you know, you can't believe everything you see. Did you know there's a city called Yoakum Town? And it's yes, called yes. I passed that. And there's also like Blue Balls something on the w- like New Jersey. Mm. I'll always see and But Yoakum Town too. And then the 14-year-old in me just lights up. And you, do you say like Yoakum Town? No. Oh. What about, I don't. What about Linthicum? What about it? I don't know. Do you look at that and just be like, ha, ha, ha. No. Linthicum. Speaking of. Yeah. Uh, and to tie it back to movies, what about Beavis and Butthead Do America? It's a great movie. But did you get pumped for the trailer? Like, was it that great? No, at the time? I wasn't that pumped. I, I don't think there's any movie that's gotten me as pumped as I am for this movie. Wow. It's a whole different day where you're, you went online and you saw this thing. Do you know what I've been pumped for? Wait before? a second. Is the, the sequel book to The Shining called Dr. Sleep. See, I'm, I mean, I'm a huge Stephen King fan. Right. I love all his characters. I love all the stories. So that like that pumps me up. If I don't I don't ever get starstruck, but I would totally be starstruck if I met Pennywise the clown. I'd be like, what about, Yo. St- what about Stephen King? Or like well, Stephen King, yeah, I don't know if I'd be starstruck, but like I'd be more interested to meet like Freddy Krueger. Like the real like the real Freddy Krueger. He'd be like, I'll kill you and I'll be like, Yo, what's up? Sign this. I don't think that's what you would say. Dude. That's it, what you would say, yo, what's up, sign this? Yo, okay. I mean, specifically, I'd, really I'd be say? more like... Jordan's Freddy. I'd be like, holy shit, dude, you're real? That's fucking awesome. I've been following your whole career. Like, everything you've done. <laughs> it's just like him meeting... The first thing that comes to mind is Chad Sexton. This is so bad. That is not this is, this is like you <laughs> meeting, I don't know, like Chad Triple Sexton. H. Well, we had, no. Justin and I had a conversation about a month ago... Fuck yeah. ...about is there anybody that you could meet in person and actually get butterflies. Because Justin and I have talked, you know, we've met plenty of people with high profiles and people that we even respect. But I think it has something to do with our own comfort and sense of self that it doesn't really trip us out or get us nervous. Now. But we were trying, now, of course. But back in the day, there were people. Like, yeah, we'd, we'd geek out over whoever. We did that crazy thing to be 311. Right. Whatever that was, right? And I think. It was a little crazier, but now, now, totally different because we're older. We've been around. A Did longer. you guys geek out over Spin Fire and Voodoo Blue? No. Damn. I don't no. think so. 
I th- I think I think I thought Dan but was cool. Dan was super cool. The thing about Voodoo Blue, which I respected, is that they were very, um, like kind to us and and approachable too. I don't think I really interacted with you guys in Spinfire at the time. I agree with that. I never interacted with you, but I definitely interacted with you. And I don't. I guess maybe I think of like. I remember seeing you at the record. At the record. I don't even really remember. I just that. remember you like hopping around saying like, "What's up, sir." up sir that's what you used to call me you'd be like hello hello sir what's up sir but you were like a man to us when you were 17 and we were 14 or whatever you were like this this little man to us i don't remember any of this honestly because i don't even really (laughs) remember going to see you play shows i remember i remember you playing like a summer camp festival thing right with jimmy's chicken shack jimmy's chicken shack and they played the little side stage at camp milldale and I was playing in the Moon Bounce. That's all I remember. And you ripped your pants. I ripped my pants. Right. You had to get it stitched Fuck up yeah. at the nurse's oh, office. Right, 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 right. I, oh, was, I was crowd surfing. Incredible. My to wallet who? came out. To Someone who? took the money and handed back the wallet. Oh, that's great. Who, who were you crowd surfing to? Jimmy's Chicken Shack. Jimmy's Chicken Shack. Great band. Wow. That's what you do when you see Jimmy's Chicken Shack at a Jewish day camp. Come on. Yeah, you fucking crowd surf. So I'm, wait, I'm so pumped that they're from here, and once a year we still get to go see them. All right, back to your story. No, back to you guys. Oh, sorry. Who would you? Who oh, would, right, right. Yeah, sorry, who, sorry. Who would who would give you butterflies? Super tangent. All right, go for it. I think Vince McMahon, because he's. I don't think Triple H would. That was not the one that we both talked about. I don't remember. We both. But talked he has he has a reputation for being intimidating. Even, like, a lot of his employees are afraid to interact with him. But it also depends on context, right? So if I'm just out in public and I see him, it's going to be different than if I'm at, like, one of his shows and see him and he's in business mode. So there's, there's context to consider. Doing the Billy Strike? But did I, did I say someone? No, we both said it was not Vince McMahon. Because for me, Vince, I think, is great. and b- But he's, he's not up there on the guys that I'm dying to meet, or people that I would be dying to meet. The person, I don't even care to meet him either. I just think it would be intimidating. The per- No, it wasn't even intimidating. The one that we both said, that's the person we want to meet, that we would feel like an overwhelming sense of something right. bigger than us. Paul Heyman. We both said Paul Heyman. That was the guy. We both stuck on it. And last night I watched wrestling as the prep for WrestleMania. I didn't even know. You could have said, oh, what are the matches? And I'd be like, I don't really even know. Until I watch a little bit, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, I can recall what's going on. But, again, what do I hit you up about? What do I put out on Facebook or something? I'm talking about Paul Heyman and how great he is. That, but would you be nervous? No, not necessarily nervous. I think I would be really, really pumped up to meet him and express everything I would want to tell him in how amazing I think he is. Just as a, as a performer, as a businessman, as an entity, for everything that he's done – and how great he, I mean, there. I don't think there's, The Rock was close to that, and he's still great, but I think you put Paul Heyman in, like, any position, and he'll just slay that shit. I'd agree. So, Matt, you do meet and greets at all of your shows, most of your shows? Yeah, pretty much all. So you're interacting with a lot of your fans daily on tour? Yes. So what's that like as far as, I mean, at the end of the day, you're a human being, all of your fans are human beings. You know, you guys all shit. You have fears. You fall in love. You have your hearts broken. So, like, we're all the same in that sense. But I'm sure there's fans that geek out and get really <clears throat> nervous around you. Oh, yeah. Fans shake 
when you shake their hands, they're sweaty. If you take a picture with them, chances are nine times out of ten they're going to forget how to use the camera phone. It's going to be off. They're going to hit the wrong button. It, you get flustered, and you see it all the time. Um, and we see it, and we do our best to make people feel calm. That's our because that, we we're in this situation all the time. We're meeting people all the time, and we're not even like, you know, I th- I think it's ridiculous when people meet us and they're like that because we're just like some glorified local band. You know what I mean? It's we're just normal dudes. So when people meet us and they're like, oh my god, I address it straight up. I'm like, dude, you all right? Shake it a little bit. Like, take a deep breath. Come on, let's do a deep breath. Come on. <sighs> See, don't you feel better? Look, dude, I took a shit today too. You know what I mean? Like, and it was terrible. Like, don't you have those days? And I'll say shit like that, or like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to disarm them. And the way that we do our meet and greets, it's not traditional. Like, you'll see a lot of bands that just kind of like set up a table and they sit down and they sign a poster and everybody goes through the line and it's shake handshake by. We do, we try our best to do like anywhere between thirty minutes to forty-five minutes of just kind of like a free-for-all hangout where we don't stand in a line. We make a point to disperse. Like in the like the five of us in the band that are that are there usually, we disperse. And then people can choose to make their rounds and come talk to us. And some people stay. Some people stay and they'll talk to one of us the whole time and they won't even bother meeting anybody else. Other people will go around and make their rounds and make a point to meet everybody. And we sign stuff as we do it. And we'll take, you know, selfies and pictures. But for the most part, it's a conversation. It's It can... It can be a lot of fun because you, you do disarm people. And then we like the way I do it is instead of them being like, oh, so how's tour? I'm like, ah, oh, you guys will see. How about I want to get to know you guys? Right. And I really do. It's more interesting to find out about our fans and what they do than it is vice versa. And I have more to say, but did you have a question? I mean, yeah. Well, a couple points. One to that, uh, I'm repping Colt Cabana, who is a pro wrestler, um, more at an independent level, but working with the company Ring of Honor currently. And he was introduced to me recently, and he was asking me questions. Same kind of deal. This is someone I've been listening to his podcast for many years and been a fan of his work for even longer. And for him to just treat me as an equal and ask me about the drum work I do, uh, that made me feel like he normalized the situation. And it sounds like that's what you guys have an intention to do, is just to normalize you as just relatable people, right? But my, my, my question is, since you have this fluid kind of setup with the meet and greet, do you ever notice people that are more timid or shy? And then is that something that you guys are aware of as far as making sure they're included in the experience? Absolutely. When I see people that do seem more shy, I do my best to, to pull them out of their shell. You know, and I think we all do that naturally because I think we can, we can relate to that. Some of us more so than others in the band are, are a little bit more introverted in some ways. So I think that creates a really nice bonding point. Um, and yeah, I mean, we want everybody to feel included and feel like they had at least a chance to get to know one of us, if right. not all of us, as a person. And we'll go as far, I mean, we, we did the Summer Jam camp last year, last summer where we, we arguably had 100 of our most excited, diehard fans, you know, spending four days with us. It was really 100 people? Yeah. That's crazy. That, that, is, that at is full a moon. Lot. At yeah. full moon, yeah. Because when I've done the stuff with Benny Greb there, it was capped at 25, <clears throat> which seemed like 
a good amount of people to well, really get to know. Remember, and, there's six of us. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But even just the, the space with everything, a hundred's a lot of people mm-hmm. for intimate programming. It was very cool, and we all got a chance at different points to talk to everybody. And you know how Full, full Moon sets up. Like, they have the roadhouse. They have, like, um, the, the area underneath where, like, the, the main house is. Mm-hmm. They have the barn. You have outside areas. So, I mean, we, we made a schedule with different activities that people could choose to do. But it was really cool because there was a nice balance of drummers, guitar players, singers, people that like Pokemon, people that wanted to really jam and just play music, people that were into production. So between all of us in the band, we were able to put together like a really, really cool program for the weekend. But the magic, as you know from being in, those, in that place in particular for those camps, the magic happens at the meals. It happens at the bonfires. Right. It happens at the down, you know, during the downtime when people really get a chance to talk to you and see us interact as a band, but also interact with each other and tell stories. And yeah, and now I'm, I feel like I've gained a lot of friends. People will say things like, oh man, you seem to have a lot of friends. And it's like fucking crazy. Yeah, I do. Because I've been lucky enough to meet so many cool people. And one last thing I wanted to say about our fans, which is really cool. Time and time again, we find that our fans are usually, well, they're pretty much almost always musicians. But more often than not, they work in some sort of technical field, mainly science for for the most part. So whether they're pharmacists or whether they're astrophysicists, um, whether they are researchers or they're architects, it's just you know engineers. The majority of our fans work in that world, so it's always very interesting. And asking them questions is more than just surface level stuff. Right. I learn a lot from them. We ended up um, meeting some, man, we've met some pretty intense people that like we had no idea they were our fans. Like, or that, that like some of our fans were so cool or have done so many crazy things. Like people that have gone to like worked in space and like worked on satellites. And, That's wild. You know? But that kind of makes sense based on the genre. <clears throat> Just with the, what you guys do with uh, time signatures and things like that, where it's more technical style of music. And the production, right? technical I, production. I can see people in with those interests being attracted to what you guys do. Yeah, something that, that I would think about is that um, the band itself, you guys are like engineers, you guys are architects, building Nolly, I know, um, and I'm sure Misha is in there as well, and I'm sure everybody has a hand in it, but building tones that are super different, right? Like the bass tone sticks out extremely well in those records and it's very different from most of the other stuff that you hear out there and i think if i remember correctly he was building it through more of a guitar rig mm-hmm. with a lot of overdrives distortion effects and it sticks out it's not like a sore thumb but it sticks out in a really good way it's not buried in some kind of pocket like bass normally is and so i could see again like you know echoing jordan sentiments that it makes sense why those people people in those fields would be fans of your band it's technical. Yeah. And, and that's on like a multitude of levels. It's not just, um, not just one. But I wanted to go back and talk about Colt Cabana. I think the difference, though, with your story is the introduction. If, Absolutely. Right? So you had, and you can explain it, but, but if, if, if somebody close to one of them um, or someone, rather, who they really trust introduced them, I'm sure, not that this would always happen, and fuck yeah, Colt Cabana for not just 
letting you play into him, but playing into you and asking you, well, what do you do and what's your sort of... But his boss that night introduced him to me. And that's awesome that you had that connection now, that triangle through someone who could build that bridge that's so powerful in his life. Right. Because he, as a wrestling term, he puts you over. Right. Right? So you were already in good graces, and now Colt can ask you questions like, well, dude, what do you do? You already know what he does. Right. So you're right in that sense that it the interaction was there was a different context and it wasn't just a fan coming up to someone like that right but i'm sure if it was if the if it was different and you weren't introduced you still would would find a way now that you're older you've been around you've met many people of a way to be relatable to colcabana right right and i think that's a question that i have for matt that for someone who deals with anxiety when you first started with periphery and you first started to gain all of these new fans, and you're playing new venues for the first time, what was it like for you to go out there and meet these people who, one, are nervous, but you may have been feeling some sort of anxiety, nervousness going out there? Honestly, I didn't ever really experience that. I felt more of a responsibility to represent the band mm-hmm. appropriately in the way that we want to, to, in the way that we want to interact with our fans, you know? Right, right. Um, and that's really all that mattered. And I mean, with Periphery, by that time, I had been in so many different bands. You know, I, I've, I had been getting the compliments on things for years. So I knew how to take them and then turn it around and say, but what are you, what about you? What are you good at? Right. What do you do? You yeah, know, you let's talk. It. Yeah, because it. I mean, I think it's, a lot of people have trouble taking compliments. You ever notice that? It's yeah, hard. It, it's an awkward. It's to me. It's more awkward for for me to have someone come up and say, "Hey, man, you're really a good drummer," or "I really like your band," or "That show was awesome." It's more awkward to keep saying thank you than it is to say, "Ah, oh, that's cool, man. Yeah, fuck that though." So, hey, what do you do? Like, what what what's your work? What do you love? Do you have kids? Whatever. You know, it's so much better to talk about that. It's real. Do you not want to come off cocky? Or something of that nature. If you're just like, yeah, dude, I know what you're not no, gonna say, but no, you'd be like, it's like, because the reality of the, the reality of it is, at least for me, when people say the things they say, a lot of times it's very, it's you know, it's not exaggerated necessarily, but it's like, oh my god, man, you're like the coolest drummer ever to watch, or you're this, or you're that, and in my head. I know that's not true. And, and I, I think you should still acknowledge the compliment. I do. Right, and right. No, no, no. Instead look, of minimizing it. Hold on. I do. I Absolutely. To get to a level where that's happening a lot, you have to because it takes a certain level of confidence to perform, to exude that. So I'm confident about my ability, and I'm really comfortable taking those kinds of compliments, but I don't want to stay on it. Sure. I, yeah, I think there's a really fine line that you have to walk between – Feeding into it and saying thank you in the proper way. And obviously, it's going to change from person to person. Slight and variations. Real. And it's really it's really easy to fall off that line. But the thing is, like, if you don't say thank it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you don't say thank you, then you kind of look like, oh, no, no, it's no big deal. Like, this is easy. And if you thank them, you might come off as like, yeah, dude, I know. Which is not what you want to convey. Then it just comes back to you don't really have a relationship with these people. It's more um, you're trying to start to build the relationship. So finding a way to just... No, dude, like, you know, whatever you can say. And I'm sure you can practice something that makes more sense. Or Jordan could have something. Maybe you thought of something. I'm bringing that up. I was just, well, do you mind if I say something real quick? I I just, I feel like 
you absolutely should take a second to appreciate the compliment. Right. Because it's not easy for anyone to open up and be vulnerable, even enough to say, hey, I really liked what you did. That takes some balls to say that to anybody, especially if it's someone that you look up to. Right. Because I could just as easily just, like, not say anything and think it and be like, you know, yeah, this guy's awesome or this girl's awesome, but not actually go say it. So I do take a second to appreciate, and I think people should take a second to appreciate what is behind the compliment. Sure. You know, it takes a little bit of effort to, to give one, but then you acknowledge it, and I think either it's the kind of scenario where the conversation's over at that point, like, thanks so much, man, I really appreciate it. I'll see you next time. Bye. Or if it's the kind of thing where it's going to go on and on, I don't want to keep talking about myself sure. in that context. I'd re- and if I do, I'd rather flip the switch and relate on something that they don't realize that I know about. It's funny. My buddy um, Saul Orwell was uh, was taught. He's an entrepreneur um, from uh, Examine.com, and he was he posts every week different things. And he was saying something like he feels that the reason he's gotten good at networking was because he knows and researches on purpose so many different things, like reads all sorts of different magazines, different news sites, different books, different different topics, so that when he meets someone, he can always find something to, to connect to him, which I think you, Justin, yeah, make a point to do that too, and, and right. I know that's one of your strengths, but it, there's really something to that, and I, I think that ties into being able to communicate to someone who is in a little bit of a different mental state than you are in, in that scenario where I'm calm, they're excited. What kind of questions can I ask to get them talking about something that's going to make them feel calm because they're confident in discussing it? Right. It's really interesting because it's not something that I would actively think about in how to make that happen. It's just been practice and practice and practice of subconsciously just going through those motions, right? And it is interesting that I, that is something that I, even in the exercise we did last time that I wrote of being able to hold a conversation with, with someone on what really is their interest and has nothing to do with mine. And I always knew, um, I remember reading books with stuff, stuff like this, you know, like how to win friends and influence people. And it wasn't in a, in like a bullshit kind of way of how to win people over, but it was more in a, I know that what I'm into is very, very niche specific, maybe like an uh, esoteric kind of way of vintage. At the time, I remember I'd always think when I thought about this, I would say, oh, vintage bass guitars from the 50s and 60s. Most people don't want to have that conversation or they wouldn't know what to say. It would be very one and done. And so it was easier for me to open up the forum and say, hey, what are you into? And maybe I always thought that I lucked out that I was ready to talk on whatever the subject may be. But I think it was just having a lot of random interest and having the personality that would just keep floating from one to the next. But I think just talking about networking or even more generally social skills people are going to get more comfortable and light up and be more engaged when they're talking about things of their own interest, right? So there's nothing stopping any of us or anyone listening when we're introduced to someone or chatting with someone that we don't know that well by asking about what they're interested in. And that doesn't mean that you have to know anything about it, but you can ask good questions to learn about it. Yeah, it's very true. And that's yeah. a really nice way to get people engaged with you and to tie it back to the periphery camp you were talking about that a lot of the connections are really formed around meals or the downtime in between the programming. And I've noticed that just going to conferences and things of that nature, 
that it's during the meals and asking to sit next to someone that you want to get to know better, mm-hmm. right? Or, or the times, the breaks in between, hanging outside, mm-hmm. you know, wherever the room is that, that the programming would be taking place. Like, that's the real stuff. That's when you can actually connect and, quote, network with the people that you really want to get involved with or in touch with or just learn from. Um, and, and I think that's just so useful, but the idea is that it really takes each of us to say, I'm going to be the one to start the conversation. I'm going to take initiative and lead, right? So I'm going to go up and say, hey, would you like to have lunch together? And I'll be the one when I'm talking to a stranger to be like, tell me about what you're interested in, right? And I think if all of us kind of had that, uh, that ability to lean in to leading and taking initiative, not only are we going to have better interactions with people, but uh, we end up showing our leadership, right? Especially if it's a networking context. By doing that, you're actually showing that you're comfortable enough to take initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe five, six years ago, I was on a plane, and this older guy was sitting next to me. I just offered him blueberries. And then an hour later, he's quizzing me about how the brain works. And apparently, he was this like super impressive, influential person to where the, the you know, flight attendants were treating him with like great respect and dignity. But he was willing to really engage with me and connect me to some other people because I was comfortable enough to say, hey, stranger, would you like some blueberries? Mm-hmm. I think that's the same catalyst that chocolate croissants can be. And I would challenge anyone to go get some chocolate croissants and grab some friends and then find some random people. Go sit outside. It's nice. We were just outside, right? Wherever you are, hopefully it's nice. And you can sit down and you can offer a stranger, hey, would you like to have this? Because you really, it's almost like sliding doors. You have no idea if you actually say hey to someone or make that connection, what that could do. For sure. And it's not always going to be a planned thing either, but there's always a, a literal thing that you can connect on. I notice most people on business calls do it about the weather. The minute a business call starts, I was actually talking to Des from GGD about this the other day because even he and I were partners and we get on this call, we're waiting for other people and it's like, Hey man, so uh, how's the weather in England? You know? And it's like, why, why is it the weather? But it's something that we all can very quickly relate on. And if we're in different locations, we're going to have different stories to tell. Right. It's universal. It's universal. So, Aside from the weather, it can be anything. If you're having a meal, it's, oh, man, that meal looks really good. I got the other thing. What, how is that? You know, Let me get Damn. a bite. Oh, it's meat? That's cool. Are you a big fan of Wagyu beef? I don't know. I mean, it's like there's so many different things that, that you could you know, choose to, 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 to touch points on. You know? And to really get under the hood of what Matt's talking about, it really has nothing to do with the content of the conversation. Right, so having those that type of small talk, it has nothing to do with with the type of meat, or it has nothing to do with whether it's raining or not, but it's creating a process between two people or between a group of people, and by having some random universal content to actually talk about, by doing that, you're establishing a rapport and a connection with people, and then from there you can assess, well, this feels nice, I want to continue with this or not, right? But it's really the difference between content and process. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really, really key. And that's applicable to all of our social situations. I've talked about this before on my Snapchat, but this is something that I see happen all the time in, in this realm of, of conversation. You know, there's a lot of people that work in the service industry, like food service or beverage service industry, who 
you kind of, when you work in that field, you end up developing really good social skills because you're dealing with all sorts of people. You're essentially selling to them. And, you know, you're, you can't tell somebody what they like to taste, what they like to drink. So it's more about selling an experience, right? And I, I started thinking about this a lot because I used to wait tables and I used to, to bartend and, you know, I met all sorts of people. And when I would meet people that were engaging and, and kind with me, it would make me work even better for them, of course. And when I meet, when I met people that were like really dry and like didn't give a shit about what I was doing or the effort that I was putting in, it absolutely made me feel like, okay, fine, well, I'm going to give you the effort that you're expecting of me then. even I wouldn't stoop to that level. I would remain, but I would think about that. The thing that I see happen, though, is time and time again, I see service people in different scenarios where they have been beaten up so much by shitty customers that they have no reason to feel like they should be nice or perky or excited or engaging. But the minute that someone actually asks them a personal question as simple as, hey, how's your day? You see them perk up like, oh my God, I'm not invisible. And I see this happen mainly at like supermarkets often mm -hmm. where like, you know, behind the deli counter, which is especially where we're from in Pikesville, uh, or at least I, I'm from Pikesville, which is just, there's a lot of snotty people. And I see people walk up to these deli counters and they talk to the people that are working the service and, and they're like, yeah, give me this. Yeah, give me that. No, you got the order wrong. I didn't ask for this. I want this now. And how are you ever going to respect someone that's talking to you like that? I mean, yeah, the, the goal then is just to get them whatever they need as fast as possible, get them out of your face. But I see this happen all the time. And you, would, you think because of that that this place doesn't provide good service. I think that's bullshit. I don't blame the person behind the counter for being a little bit quiet maybe not as enthused, when they're getting treated like shit like that all the time. And if everybody made an effort to treat people in the service industry like human beings and take a second and understand that, yes, they are going to serve you, however, they can do it with a smile or they can do it feeling really shitty, and you're probably going to feel better if they do it with a smile, and, it, and you can help make that happen is the point. And that shit's so easy. Like, and not only is it easy... But you end up feeling better, right? And, and I, think, I think the ways that we interact with others is just a reflection of ourselves. So when you have that stereotypical person who is being demanding and ignorant, talking to someone who's there to serve them, to me, that's just a reflection of how they kind of internally speak to themselves, right? I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I can almost have empathy for that person and maybe if i'm behind the deli counter it's like fuck i feel sad for you mm -hmm. but it depends if that person behind the deli counter is coming from a place from that place or not right it could ruin their day it could and and that sucks because it's so easy to just be kind to people to acknowledge people it's as simple as before you say i'd like to order this take one second and say hey how's your day and yesterday, I actually saw some guy do this. And it was just like, it was, it was such a good exchange. And I, it was just so surprising because I never see someone, I never see people do this, you know. Do you do it? Least, I do it all the time. Right. I, I always do it. But this guy walked up to the deli counter, totally unassuming. And the lady behind the counter was like, hey, how may I help you? And he was like, hey, how's your day going? 
And she was like, it's great. Thank you for asking. How may I help you? And he was like, I'd like this. And she was like, no problem. Great exchange. Everybody's happy. She's ready to work with more customers. He's leaving with a good taste in his mouth. You know, no pun intended. Um, and it was great. I just don't see it often. And I wish more people would think about those scenarios. I think that really plays into the, the dynamic of our relationships, that we are very considerate people, right? And we're considerate for, for one another, but that then translates to the real world. And I oftentimes, I'll find myself that sometimes I walk in and, and I'm in a rush, and I'm sure we've all dealt with this before, and someone says to me, do you like, hey, how's it going? Or like, hey, how's your day? Hey, how are you? Whatever it may be, right? And you're so frazzled, not really thinking that you just brush it off and you start talking. And then, and I've caught myself a little more recently being more conscious of it where I'm like, oh, wait a second. I say to myself, stop. And then I'll ask, I'll start the whole conversation over. Wait, hey, I'm good. How are you? Because I realized I just fucked up. I jumped the gun. And I don't want that interaction to be the straw that breaks the camel's back that turns someone who maybe had the will to be super nice, or like as you were saying, eh, the people come in, they're super nice, but then it's the people who come in that are maybe a little bit more down that you maybe initially tried to win over, and because you never got the respect or the response you were looking for so many times, then you just start to not even try, right? And I don't ever want to be the one, and none of us want to be the ones, who break the spirit. We always want to make sure that we're on the other side, and that's with, with each other, that's with all the relationships that we have. We're always trying to pump people up versus pushing them down, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's really big. That does translate into how you treat the people that you're around the most will then translate to how you treat others. And that's a reflection on ourselves. So I remember I, I always find it so shocking. People say, hey, how are you doing? And I say, wonderful. And I don't know why I always say wonderful, but I use wonderful. I don't say good. I don't say okay, eh, whatever. I always say wonderful. And one out of eight are like shocked. And then I ask them, why aren't you wonderful? What's going on? And I let them vent for a minute, like play back at me. Tell me why you're not having the best day. How can I make it better? Cause but what if you're having a shitty day? I'll probably tell them what's going on, but I'll thank them for asking and, and for actually acknowledging what's going on with me, which is what I want to try to provide as much as possible. Right, so I think... There's some people could listen to this conversation and be like, well, they're full of shit and it's just fake that like they're just nice to everybody. For sure. Right. I think the 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 key is that we're just acknowledging the other's presence and we're just real and honest. And you can have a shitty day and still treat everyone you interact with with respect, especially if they're serving you. Right. And that and that really goes back to whether we meet someone in in life, whether they're someone that we put on a pedestal or anybody, right? And the same thing with tying it back to Matt going on tour in a couple of days, and he's going to do VIP, the meet and greet stuff beforehand. He's going to meet people afterwards, and and he's going to try to just make them realize that, dude, I'm just like you. I put pants on in the morning. I take a shit. I work out. I do things. In that order? I was thinking the same thing. I put thing. pants <laughs> on. I take a shit. I work out. But maybe you do, and no judgment. Right, exactly. I want to address what you said, though, because it's it's true. Not every day am I chipper and excited, and a lot of times I'm super busy when I'm running around and I'm doing things. Other times, I'm, I don't know, I'm focused on my own shit. 
And I have to really remind myself to be aware of the other people around me who also have their stuff going on and to never assume that I'm more important than them. And that in and of itself is something that grounds me even in that moment when I'm feeling flustered. It's like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. All these people that are around me, everybody walking on the street, everybody parking their cars, whatever it is, they're all on their way somewhere too. They all have something to do. They all have someone they care about or some agenda. And I need to respect that maybe theirs is just as important as mine. And that is a great way to stay you know, grounded about this That's shit. That's empathy. Yeah. And I think, I mean, and because you're right. I mean, a lot of people feel like w- you are the center of your own universe. And that's true. But if you're able to to open that up and realize that, like, you are just part of the universe and everyone's a part of it, then you can really, like, have empathy. And with that, you just, you're more open and there's more possibility and there's more aliveness, at least in my experience. So in that, with Torah coming up, what are certain things, what are rituals, what are things maybe you've done in the past that maybe you're changing for the next run? You've got two runs almost back to back, right? You've got tons of things going on in your life, business stuff and personal things. What are rituals that you've done that have worked to help you mitigate some of those issues of like, oh, I'm going through some shit, but I have all these things that I have to tend to and what are things maybe that didn't really work in the past that you're thinking about changing for this upcoming run? To be honest, I'm, uh, it's really just about the consistency of the day and the regimen that you get into on tour. You don't sleep very much. You're constantly moving. You're constantly around people. And you have to learn how to find some sense of self when you're never alone and you're never still. So how do you find balance in all of that? Well, everybody in the band does it differently, but we all have our own time to do our own things. And we respect that about each other. And, you know, we'll all hang out and and stuff like that. But there's times for everybody every day where they do their own thing. Some people use that time in the morning to sleep in. Some people use that time to wander off and explore the city during the day. Um, Some people keep really busy. Some people just chill and relax and take their time and enjoy tour as sort of like a vacation where you're performing and having fun. I personally feel the best on tour when I am in constant motion. I love to work. I love to be busy. I like to see things happen and, and interact with people throughout the day. So when the tour starts, what's a go through a normal day to day. What time do you wake up? What are you thinking about? Where are you going? What are you so doing? I'm part of the crew in the sense that I don't have a drum tech and I set up my own drums. So I need to load in and set up my drums with the crew, whereas the rest of my band doesn't really need to be in the venue for a little bit later. And what time is that? Uh, it depends on the day, but sometimes it's 11, sometimes it's noon, sometimes it's 1. Okay. Our first show, I think, 10 a.m., so it's an early one because we, we want more time to just like get settled with the stage set up and all that stuff. But I'll be up early. I'll be up by like 7, 38 a.m. every day with the crew. And typically, we go out and we grab breakfast and coffee every morning. We come back. Um, we chill for a little bit. That's usually time for me when I'll have phone calls in the morning or I'll do some work, whatever it may be. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's about to be a busy afternoon, so I try to get as much done as I can. Then I, I load in. I set up my drums. I tune my drums. That's, you know, that takes some time. 
After that, I usually go out and if I have lessons that day, drum lessons, that's when I'll set up my lessons. I'll find the location of where I'm going to teach. I'll maybe talk to uh, like the, the venue manager or someone to let them know that I'm going to be bringing people in the venue or outside the venue. So when you're looking for a place to do the lesson, I've never been or seen one of your lessons on tour. So can you just describe what that looks like and what kind of space are you ideally looking for at a venue? If the weather is great, I'll just do it in the trailer. Like, so, you know, our, our bus pulls a trailer with all so our gear. So you'll set up your drum kit in the trailer and everybody will yeah, sit I'll, around? I'll either set up a small mini teaching drum kit or I'll set up a pad setup that, you know, that's, uh, you know, close enough to what I need to teach. And it's definitely all I really need to teach. Um, and I'll do it in a trailer and like a confined space like that where, you know, I like the trailer because I set up in the back looking out and everybody everybody else is sitting sort of in like a horseshoe looking at me. So there's point. no distractions. Right. There's there's walls on all sides and they got to look behind them if they're going to see anything else. So it really helps to keep people focused. So I Smart. like that. Um, but if I'm doing it in the venue because it's super cold or super hot outside, I just look for a place, honestly, that's out of the way of all the hustle bustle. I don't want to be in the way of any of the business that needs to take place for the show to go on. I don't want to get in the way of the opening bands. I don't want to get in the way of the stage or my sound guy. Um, and you know, I'm lucky to have a crew that is a little bit flexible with me, you know, with that kind of stuff. Sometimes I have to keep the lessons to a strict hour because it is in the venue. Um, there really isn't other places to go outside of the main room and the show has got to go on. So I got to either teach a lesson with tons of noise or I got to stick to the, the time that is set for the lesson. Does this know? change vastly if you guys are the opening or a supporting act versus the headlining act? Absolutely. As a headlining act, I have more leeway and I can sort of set the, the rules. You know, I can sort of say to my crew, hey, listen, I'm teaching at this hour in this location and I need an hour. And usually they're pretty cool about it. I don't really say it that stern, but we can, you know, we can make a little bit more flexibility there. Whereas when we're the opening band, it's not even a question that you ask. You simply figure out the place to do it that is out of, out of everyone's way and you don't get in anyone's way or interrupt any of the stuff that's going on that day. You just stay out of it. So, you know, at that point, like, I don't know, let's say that's like one o'clock-ish, one thirty. I'll set up my teaching rig. If I have time then, maybe a half hour, I'll do a workout, which right. is another thing that I typically do by myself to sort of keep focused. But we'll see if anybody shows up on this tour to do some battle rope work with me. We'll see about that um, right. in different cities. But anyway, then it's sound check. And we typically sound check for, you know, anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour. What time is that usually? It depends. Sometimes it's like usually like 2, 2.30. And then I teach. And this is just as a headliner. Mm, yeah. But even, even, you know, even if we're a support act and we have uh, a sound check, you know, it's going to be in somewhere in like the maybe 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. range, like before doors open. Will you finish everything, <clears throat> checking whatever you guys need to get through with your crew, front of house, monitors, the whole nine? before the other bands get into set up? Yeah, absolutely. We try to. And you and have how I many mean, openers on this tour? We have some openers. We have three openers. But okay. yeah, I mean, e even so, we're not pretty, we're not like particular about having the venue to ourselves. If the opening bands want to show up and set up their gear on the floor and get loaded in, our crew is pretty cool about that kind of stuff. So that's not a big deal and it doesn't really bother us in any way. Um, but yeah, so we'll sound check at like 2, 2.30 then I'll actually have my students show up at 2.45. Right. I'll teach at 3. 
do the lesson as long as I can, sometimes from 3 to 4.30, if I can make it, make it work. Um, a lot of times we have VIP or the meet and greet starting at 5. Ooh. So I try to give myself a nice at least half hour buffer to have a snack, have a drink, kind of decompress from teaching, break down, close up the trailer, and then I go to meet people. And that's, it can be a little tiring because I've just spent an hour, hour and a half talking about drumming. And a lot of times in the meet and greets, I will encounter new people that want to ask questions about drumming. So it's a good thing that I really like that topic. But again, it's, it's, I'm on, you know? Yeah, and this is not a typical nine to five. You get up, you, have, you take a shit, you get your breakfast, and then you get to work at nine. You kind of just go through the motions. I mean, you're full on from the time you wake up around seven, eight o'clock in the morning until you're done playing. Well, yeah, like right now we're at five, five thirty, mm-hmm. six o'clock, right? So after meet and greet, then that's usually our time to sort of relax before the show. So at that time, I'll have a small snack if I didn't already do that. Okay. And I usually will use that, that time to like make myself dinner or go buy something for after the show that I have there for later, like food wise. Um, if we have friends that are in town, that's usually when we try to have them come hang out or, you know, bullshit around. And then at about eight o'clock, eight thirty, that's when I kick on my stage clothes typically. And I go into the venue, into the dressing room and I start warming up my feet for about an hour. Um, I do like a whole workout thing just to get my hands and feet warmed up. Using what? Um, I use pedals and a, and a actual like pedal pad that I have. So I, I set that up, and I work with a metronome, and I just I work on kind of just getting my feet nice and warm, you know, pumped up. If I can, if there's enough time, like if let's say that's at 8.30, at right. 8 o'clock, I'll do like a 4-6 workout or like a 10-minute hit to get my blood pumping right. and get my heart rate up so that by the time I do hit the stage at 10 o'clock, I'm warm, I'm not going to be sweating as much, I'm not going to be out of breath. My feet are warm, my hands are warm, and I can really enjoy the interaction that takes place between myself and the other bandmates and then the people in the audience. And then at the end, after the show, let's say that's 11, 11.30, if I'm lucky enough to have uh, my sound guy in, a, in, in the mood to do it, he'll break down my kit so I can go chill. Okay. But a lot of times I, have to, I will actually break down my drum set myself and pack it up, then I'll shower and by then it's like midnight and I don't want to do anything but be quiet and like read a book. Decompress. Decompress, eat some food, and I'm asleep by 1 a.m. and then up again the next day, 7.30, 8 a.m. to do it all again. This sounds like, did you go to sleepaway camp, like a, a good camp growing up? I never did really that? did, no. This sounds like camp. You know, you're up super early and it's just go, 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 go. And by the time your head hits the pillow, which I don't really do a lot of this, but I just remember some of it, it's so hot outside, whatever it is. You're just exhausted. Mm-hmm. And you really, I mean, it's ex- its almost exhausting to listen to. It's just go, go, go. And I was trying to figure out where in there do you decompress, but you only give yourself half an hour breaks. And I'm sure Jordan and I can re- maybe relate on some level if we have back to back to back maybe lessons or teaching people or doing uh, an engagement, a speaking engagement, or you have to go somewhere and then you're on the next one. And when you don't build in those half an hour breaks or you don't get them because of variable change, do you ever do you ever say to yourself, "Damn, I wish I had thirty minutes just to decompress, to meditate, to relax"? Or are you happy with the I'm on, and then by the when I switch the switch to off, I'm like completely off. There's a lot of days like that, but okay. the reality of it is, there's always some downtime before the show, and it's usually at you know six o'clock ish. So even if I have to hustle from 
11 a.m. load in to 6 or 6.30 p.m. after VIP, that's okay. That's not yeah. bad. And I'm used to that, and I'm okay with that. So, yeah, I'm grinding. I'm pushing through. I probably have phone calls even in between and other stuff to do, but fuck it. I mean, it it's fun. It makes the day go much faster in a way that's productive. You know, How often are you guys doing press in each city? It depends. I typically don't do press on tour just because my schedule is so full with lessons and things like that, whereas the other guys who aren't teaching or have a little bit more leisure time, they'll fill that time with the press. So it's been a pretty cool understanding amongst us all, unless it's like a drum magazine in particular that really wants to to talk or they want to film my lesson or something like that, then I typically stay away from press on tour. Smart. Yeah. But look, everybody respects each other. That's the cool part. Like when I say, hey, guys, sorry, you know, I got to go teach. They're like, okay, cool. Have a great lesson. You know, um, if people want to go do whatever they want to do, it's like, you know, there's been there's been close calls in the past where like people in the band have gone off and they've taken a train in some city in Europe and then the train gets stuck and they're, you know, they're, it's we wonder if they're going to get back in time for the show, but it always works out. But that's happened. But that happens so rarely that we trust everybody to just kind of find their groove and do whatever it is that they need to do to maintain that sort of personal homeostasis on tour because it is not like anything else. You aren't shitting in the same toilet every day like you do at home. You aren't showering in the same shower every day. You're never eating the same food. You're never meeting the same people. The only familiarity is where you sleep, the fact that you are moving constantly and that you're around a very small, tight-knit group of people. And if you don't learn how to coexist together then it's going to make that hard situation almost impossible, you know? Is there a show that you are looking forward to on this run or on the European run? Is there anything in particular or a um, maybe a restaurant, food, since you do love going to flavor country? I know that you're bummed when you're in Copenhagen that you're not going to be able to go to Noma. Um, but is, yeah, there so, is, there, is there something, is there like a three-star, a three-Michelin-star restaurant you're looking forward to or... So you go, oh, fuck, when I'm in Chicago, I get the hot dog. Uh, I mean, there's always good stuff in every city. But Uh, anything in particular? Off the top of my head, not really that I can think of, but I'll kind of, I'll remember once I'm sort of there, you know? Like, I'll know, like, oh, shit, we're in this city. Like, it has, this city has this great restaurant or this great coffee shop or whatever it is. But, um, no, I mean, I'm looking forward to just playing some shows. Uh, Toronto. Montreal, they're always great markets for us. We love playing in New York, New Jersey. Those are always great. We haven't been to Florida in a while, so I'm excited for that. Chicago is always a a killer market for us. We always have a really fun show in Birmingham, Alabama. You better bring Um, it. You know, it's just, there's a lot of cool places that we're going on this tour that it's a lot of fun. So, and look, Europe is is great because the food is so different. And there is so much good food everywhere you go in Europe. You know, we're going to be in France a lot. France is some of the best cooking in the world. Going to bring back some chocolate croissants? Please. I'm not yeah. going to bring them back. I'm going to eat the shit out of them, though, over there, for sure. You know what gets me really pumped when I think about Europe? Butter. Oh, dude. You don't right? even know. I'm telling you. Do that's you know? I mean, you, yeah, you've, actually, you've been there. You've been to Europe. Yeah, I've been like four or five oh times. My God, I get super pumped about the butter. It's the best. But that's why I buy, you know, like whatever, President or the Kerrygold. You know, I get super pumped. So when we went to that restaurant for your birthday, that was pig spat? Um, that was like a butter substitute? 
Oh, we, it was lard. Where'd okay. you go? So we went to Parts and Labor. Oh, okay. Baltimore, a good, um, like, a snout-to-tail farm-to-table kind of restaurant. Pretty Remington. cool. In Remington. What's pretty, up? Where Jordan lives. It's pretty cool. I've posted food from there on my Instagram before. I don't think any... Oh, well, we had two people who came with us that don't really get into food. They ended up ordering the hamburger tartare as hamburgers. They cooked them a couple hamburgers. And for a, I think it was kind of... It was, it was a very expensive one-off hamburger with no side. That's... If you're not into food, that's strange. So what, $16.50, $17? I think bucks? it was... They both got doubles, and it was like 15 bucks. But they're small, okay. right? Okay. Um, Jordan went all out. I did. He started with the freaking... Went in Remington. Chicken feet. And... They said they were going to take it off the menu because no one got really down with, like, biting the pad to get the collagen out of it. And then they never took it off. But it was all good. We gnawed on it. Good flavor. Whatever. Um, what else did you get? I got the whatever winter green salad, which is mostly kale and, like, a ranch-type dressing. It was, like, yeah, it was like, good. Yeah, it was super good. raw. It was nice. And uh, I got some sausage. Lamb. Lamb? Yeah, I think it was maybe a lamb sausage, but uh, with... They had a, like a mustard seed type of thing with it, too. It was good. Would I go back there again? Probably not. But to try it, I, I, I felt like if I'm going to go there, I'm going to try some of their shit. Mm -hmm. You should go back. Because yeah. they change the menu often, and okay. there's, a, there's a lot of great stuff. I know you do like burgers, and their burgers are exquisite. I see there's a huge billboard right outside the restaurant just promoting like happy hour burgers. We should do that. Yeah, They're yeah, yeah. Great. When Burgers you get back, I think we should go back. I actually would go back for my fiance got uh, what was like an English breakfast, mm -hmm. right? So she got the blood sausage. She got the blood sausage and an egg and potatoes. I would go back for breakfast in a heartbeat. That's we don't we don't really get that here. We don't get the beans. We get toast. So you asked what I'm looking forward to most. Oh, and. and what I'm looking forward to most is the breakfast mm. that I am able to, to try in all the different cities. Because that's really the meal that I can go out and, and sit down in a restaurant and eat something there. Do like, you, re do you relax? Do, do you relax over yeah, breakfast, like, a coffee? The breakfast club, who are usually like me and Who's my sound it? guy and our tour manager, and maybe Jake. Give me some names. Who's um, it? So Matt, Rosie, Rosenblum. Matt Rosie. Is our tour manager. Where's he, he from? Rosie. Where's Probably he from? Pikesville. Right now, tonight, yeah, Rosenblum. He's from New Jersey. Shalom. He's from New Jersey. All right, shout out to Jersey. Alex Marquides. Yep, he's front our of sound house. guy. He's front of house. He's our production manager as well. Kay. He's from Bethesda. Rock and roll. And we love to eat together. Hell yeah. That's like our thing. It's the three of you guys. Is there, well, are there more? Yeah, there's more than Stosh. Stosh. Stosh Robel, also from New Jersey. Stosh. He's our, he does our merchandise. Okay. Um, he'll always venture out with us in the morning for breakfast. And then. Every now and then, you'll get a Misha Mansoor joining us, or you'll get a Jake Bowen joining us, but typically, that's your breakfast club. Do you have nicknames for any of those guys in your band? Um, just Rosie. Rosie. Yeah, just Rosie. Have you ever had a nickname? No, yeah. everybody... Uh, yeah, but not one I can repeat here. I would, feel, I would feel like people would take the first album, and they would go, oh, this with one swing of a stick, right? People can stop doing that now. For sure. It's, it's like, okay it's like to Foo stop. Fighters and Mentos. It's totally cool to never ask me again if I can bring Yeah, let's explain to Jordan. So, so there was like a, like a really goofy after song little interlude in between the songs. And it was just like, 
introducing the six members of the band. It was like Spencer Satello has soaring vocals and Misha Mansour. Yeah, the, like up like, like an ox the, or down know, like an ox or something. Misha Mansour, like the cover of Brown Magazine. Right. And Jake. Matt Halpern, the only drummer who can break three cymbals with one swing of the stick. Oh, and look over there. It's Jake Bowen or something. It's right. So everyone, everyone comes up to me and they're like, is it true you can break three cymbals with one stick? They say it with that tone. That's, that's sort of like Jordan, how let me hear you I do perceive it. it. This is the same feeling I had when you're trying to tell me about the movie It. I'll just play the thing for him, though he doesn't care. So we won't play it for him. It doesn't matter. You've heard it before. I do want to see It, though. That sounds fun. I never got into (laughs) Star Wars, and I I name-dropped the the Death Death Star. Star. And I saw episode one when it came out, like, twice. But apparently people say, like, those three films from the late 90s, early 2000s, like, it's not what it was. With the original three. So uh, our friend Ryan, I mean, he's hardcore into it. He has, like, from his peck down to his shoulder, a whole Star Wars tattoo. So a few, maybe a month leading up to The Force Awakens, I watched uh, the three original with him. And it was so nice because I got to ask him questions throughout. And he was really into uh, helping me understand the films. And I loved it. And I've since seen the two movies that have come out in theaters. And even opening night at the Senator in Baltimore, they had freaking, like the news was there, but even better, it was just all these stormtroopers lined up as we walked into the theater. And it was really cool. Point being, I think it would be nice to see a movie like It with you and to feel some of kind of you geeking out. Yeah, the connection. Can you feel it now? Yeah, for I sure. Have been. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's why I started. I mean, I was already like, I was actively thinking an hour or so ago when we started this. We have to start with what Matt won't shut up about because you keep going, guys, guys, guys. Do you know what tomorrow is? And now I'm, I'm actually pumped. You to really watch it. should. I want right. to. I want to. You I, should watch the commercial. I might wait till you're here in two days on Thursday to watch it with you. Why? I'll get excited in September. I I'm just gonna went watch to, it. I just to went excited. to Universal Studios, and everyone is just going nuts in this Harry Potter world. Dude, you gotta let me—not now on the Which podcast, but you gotta let me explain the theory behind it to you. Are you into Harry Potter? Of course. Oh, that I'm interested in, kind of learning, because all these people are running around wands with thirty-dollar wands, like it's like the greatest orgasm ever. And I'm like, fuck, that looks fun. But I just, I haven't, and I've seen some of the films, but I was really high and don't remember any of it. And like, I want to get some of that. I want to understand It's going to come back to, you have to read the book. Everyone says you have to read the books. And I've never read the books. I've never seen any of the movies, but I've been to Universal and I've been on the rides and I get that the rides are cool. I don't get the story. I've been to Platform 9 3 quarters, had a whole conversation about that. But it wasn't like I was holding on and trying to fly through the air. Going you, through the wall. Did you run through the wall? So I didn't do any of it. I don't get it. Here's the thing, though, is that Pennywise would beat the shit out of Voldemort. Okay? That's how badass he is, and that's why you need to be excited about it. Would you okay? play, would you play <laughs> if, if Xbox came out with a game where it was it and Voldemort and Darth Vader and all of and the... And Freddy. And Freddy... All the movie villains. Movie villains. Okay. In a Mortal Kombat Street Fighter sense, would you be all over it, headset on, being like, 
fuck you, little kid, like fighting people and like like you know losing it the way people lose it in video games. I'm pretty sure there is a game where you can turn into Freddy Krueger, and it might actually Mortal Kombat. Maybe. It might be Mortal Kombat, but I, I think our feeling. listeners can probably tell us for sure. Yeah, please help us out, and if you d- post a video, show us what's up. But yeah, shit. <laughs> of course I would. <laughs> so so I would be. I would be. Would you invest in this as a project? No, I would just play the shit out of it. Yeah, but if it's not a tangible thing yet, would you be interested in starting the idea? No, but it would be so sick to like do a VR to 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 play a oh. VR game yeah. where you're being chased and and hunted by all of these villains. Oh, this is good. Well, and how cool would it be if it were none of the other villains but just Pennywise? And like <laughs> that's and who do you is guys hunting know, you? Do you guys know what tomorrow is? Okay, but here's... Okay, hold on. And then we'll wrap this up. Okay. But the reason I keep saying that is because the cool thing about Pennywise, or it, is that it is a shapeshifter. Yes. So it can become anything. Is, is he only called Pennywise in clown form? Correct. And the clown is... I know the whole movie. No, you don't. Because the clown is the, the form that it takes... Uh, most often because it likes to prey on children and that's a great kind of character to position yourself as. Okay. As a person who loves horror, do you ever freak people out showing people your arm? No. That's it's so vague. So Matt Matt loves his horror and he's got My some, arm is a horror story. Yeah, he's got a little What about see no evil? How does that stack against the, the agre- horror classics? Agreed. See no evil. Is that the one I don't know if I saw that. Kane. With Kane, who's Kane. running for mayor next year. I didn't see it. Instant classic. May 19th. I'm not <laughs> sure that that one really makes the cut. Okay. He, uh, yeah, try it out. I only see movies that, like, I don't even see superhero films, but I saw Guardians of the Galaxy because Batista was in it. That's cool, but the It trailer comes out tomorrow. Yes. And if you're listening to this, that was We're going to still post the uh, It trailer. Trailer. I'm totally going to share it in the group. Yeah, no, no, no. Just, but in like a month, and it's going to be way past due. Well, no, but, but there'll be another one. You guys don't get it. This is like the hyped. hype machine right now. This is going to be so hype. It's, the, it's, oh my God. I'm so excited. This show has gone off the rails. Yeah, for it has, sure. But we, that's okay. When we went into so, service industry, I was trying to figure out what happened. No, I think But it was, gr- I still like that we had that conversation. It's fluid, guys. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. All right. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed this here episode of Chocolate Croissants. Yes. We are going to get some more chocolate croissants. We will soon. We've eaten eaten them all. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Any questions, send them in. We'll get to them. I promise. Have a great time on tour, Matt. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Well, we'll see you Thursday before. We'll do some real goodbyes. Cut it out. (laughs) Oh, Lord. All right. I'm okay, see you later. I'm Bye. leaving.